much. It's indeed a great pleasure and an honor to be here this afternoon. Um, I think, uh, as um, you've already alluded to what I do during my daytime, uh, to have different jobs, this is my sort of, you know, fun time. Uh, so I'm going to be sort of for taking you through a fun journey. I think when I was training um, as a medical student in Army Medical School in Pune, in sort of southwest India, um, there used to be an open-air theater. And uh, twice a week, we were shown films, one English film and one Hindi film. So because they were free and they were part of this sort of, you know, kind of getting along with your peers and sort of sitting down and, you know, chatting while the film was going on. So, you know, you went to two films. And in addition, uh, because I was always been a film fanatic, I used to see uh, at least two other films. So right from 1969 to 1974, my minimum number of films per week were about four. Uh, sometimes, you know, I've done stupid things like starting uh, going to one cinema at 11 o'clock in the morning, then another one at two, another one at six, another one at nine. So you've kind of done four films in a day. When did I study? Um, interesting question. Perhaps we can have a chat about that later. But what was quite fascinating was that uh, as I got more and more interested in culture and culture's influence on mental illness and how culture influences mental illness, how people seek help, and that's very much dictated by culture. And I went off and did a master's in sociology, and then I decided that wasn't enough, so I went and did a master's in social anthropology. Even that wasn't enough, but you know, I, because I was working as a consultant, it was a very busy job, and in about 2000, uh, Wellcome Trust advertised for these fellowships, and um, they allow busy consultants to take three months out and do things that you enjoy. So I said, ah, it's a good opportunity to do watch films <laughs> and do some work at the same time. And I can assure you the number of my colleagues who were incredibly jealous uh, when I got the fellowship, that ah, he's going to be sort of sitting at home for three months watching films. Isn't it wonderful? But one of the things that emerged, um, I did complete a book called Mad Tales from Bollywood, which was published by the Maudsley, and it's a Maudsley monograph, and had a series of papers uh, with that title. One of the things that you have to bear in mind is that if you want to understand somebody's culture, understand where they're coming from, uh, you have to look at the art, folk tales, uh, fairy tales, social expressions, um, morals, law, knowledge, customs, etc. But the fascinating thing is that if you look at art, it's very, very different across cultures as to how we see things. We never taught about it, but if you just look at the old masters versus the aboriginal art, which is very different. So there must be something different in the way we perceive things. Now, what it allows us to do is that you know, we have common cultures. And you know, my, I have multiple cultures. I have culture as an Indian born in India, trained in India. I have culture as a doctor. I have culture as a psychiatrist. I have culture as a psychiatrist working in the Institute of Psychiatry. I have a culture working in uh, the Royal College of Psychiatrists. And these are multiple hats. And all of us in this room wear multiple hats. And they vary. They vary wherever we are, and we respond to that. So one of the challenges for us as clinicians is to look at how people's cultures are working out and how people respond. And the easiest way to do that is through films. Because films, by and large, reflect the society in which they are made. And when you talk about a French film, you know exactly what you're going to get. <laughs> you know. You hear about a Bruce Willis film, you know exactly what you're going to get. Now, I'm not saying that all French films are typical of French culture or all Hollywood films are typical of American culture, or all Bollywood films are typical of Indian culture. But 
it gives you an entree into what life could be like. So if you watch Bandit Like Beckham, it tells you what the experience of the father as a migrant was, who was a good cricket player but was not allowed to play cricket because people didn't like an Indian playing cricket who could be as good as them. Now, that's not to say that you know, all migrants or all Sikhs would have gone through the same kind of experience, but what it does say is, what is it like to be a migrant moving and getting your aspirations squashed? So for as clinicians, we have to be aware of what the cultural background and the cultural experiences are. And films give an overview. And I think increasingly over the last three or four years, I've been using quite a lot of films uh, for training medical students and psychiatric trainees uh, for lots of things. You can teach about mental illness. You can teach that you know, this is how somebody who has mental illness will um, demonstrate these symptoms. But more important than that, what films do is they open up other people's reaction to an individual's mental illness. So you can see in a film that if somebody with mental illness comes across to other people, because in a clinic, when I see a patient, I would see them somewhere between 30 minutes and an hour and a half. But rest of the time, they're away from my sight. I have no idea how they respond to their family, how their family responds to them, and what the interactions are like. Also, that means for things like personality disorder, it's far easier to show films, because there's not a worry about confidentiality. Because if you're teaching psychiatric trainees or medical students, and you have a patient with you, you have to be aware of confidentiality and issues to do with what information you can show and what you can't. Whereas with a film, it's in public domain, and you know, that's fine. Of course, there are problems in portrayal of mental illness in any film. Films are not made for education. They're made for fun. They're made for entertainment. And when you're watching a film, you're watching it in the sense because you want to be entertained. You don't want to be educated. So it's really rather arrogant of somebody like me to come along and say, no, 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 we'll use these films for training and education. Only bits. And I think the trick is to try and find the right bits, and you know, we can have a conversation about that later on. So by and large, whether it's a Bollywood film or a Hollywood film, the portrayal of somebody with mental illness could be as a villain, as a comic character, as a turning point in um, the story, as some kind of existential struggle. And quite often, you, know, you will see films, and this would be to do with things like feeling depressed or feeling bereaved. And the fascinating thing about things like that is that everybody in this room and everybody in the world gets bereaved. Absolutely. There's no doubt. How do we cope with that is very much dictated by culture, because there are certain norms. So if you're Irish, you have a wake. Um, if you are a Hindu, then there are rituals that on the sort of third day after the death, seventh day after the death, tenth day after the death, eleventh month after the death, there's certain things that have to be done. So it allows you to grieve in a culturally appropriate manner. So films can open up those kind of things so you know what's normal and what's not. So when you look at cinema, and you can you know, use cinema also to teach about cultures, bearing in mind that these are not necessarily typical, but as long as you're aware that there are strands that you can pull out and try and sort of work out a braid, um, it would work very well. And you can look at the cultural influences on the development of the character and uh, how they share their cultural experiences. So films, by and large, um, are interesting and lively. They're well-produced. Confidentiality is not an issue, as I said earlier. And characters are expressing their symptoms in the context of their lives rather than in isolation as in a clinical setting, as I have um, alluded earlier. And of course, there are major disadvantages of studying films and mental illness because uh, there are stereotypes, there are distortions, there is stigma, and films may be too entertaining. Um, now, I'm just going to sort of spend a couple of minutes uh, 
sort of showing you how to look at a film, and then I will go through some clips and we'll try and sort of pull it all together. Obviously, when we watch a film, film is something which is a two-dimensional thing, portraying something which is three-dimensional. You are watching a two-dimensional thing, but you're interpreting it as a three-dimensional thing. So there are issues that you need to be aware of when you're watching a film. When you watch a film, quite often it depends upon what level you're coming from. Um, and you know, some of the psychological analysis of films is dependent upon our own experiences. How we see a film, if you go and see a film, a sad film, when we've been feeling happy, we come out feeling sad. And if we go off to see a kind of, you know, a fun film of the year, um, no matter how dreadful we felt before going in, we come out with, because it changes our perceptions. But the phenomenal world that we interpret films in is the phenomenal world also of the patient, because what patient is trying to tell us in a clinical setting that what their odd experiences are, they are trying to explain something which is very personal. So when we watch a film, at the same level, it's a very personal interpretation, and I'll come back to that. Part of our role as a spectator is to try and make sense of what's going on. And you have to bear in mind that film is not made by one person. It may have a directorial stamp of you know, Ridley Scott or David Lean or Alfred Hitchcock, George Cook or Billy Wilder or whosoever. But it's the author who's written a script which is interpreted in a particularly uh, specific way by the director and director's vision and actors have used or, and actors are being used to fulfill the director's perception of what's going on. So part of the issue for us is that films have to be understood at many levels. And Per Pearson, who's a psychologist, has talked about it in this a very interesting way that, you know, just imagine uh, you're sitting in the cinema. The film has just started, the kind of screen is dark, nothing has happened, and you hear a car starting. So immediately, you haven't seen the car on the screen, but you know that a car is starting somewhere in the background. And then you suddenly see the car comes across on the screen, and you see a woman who's struggling and a man who's driving the car. Nothing else has been said. In those sort of few seconds, you start to make hypotheses. Are these lovers? Have they just had an argument? Are they brother and sister? Is he kidnapping her? Is he the villain? Is he the hero? She's uh, being villainous. So all kinds of things happen, and over the next few seconds, your hypothesis then gets confirmed. So level zero is pretty well what you see. You know, you haven't even started thinking. You just see um, that there is a sound that the car has started. So level one is when you start seeing these kind of two-dimensional things which have been recorded in three dimensions, and you're interpreting it in three dimensions. And then the perceptual meaning becomes more sophisticated at level two, where auditory and visual stimuli come together. And then they, you start to make inferences and say, OK, you know, she's being kidnapped. Um, and then you start to give more abstract meaning. Why is she being kidnapped? Is she being kidnapped because uh, it's a question of ransom? Is it hijack? Is it terrorism, etc.? And that generates emotional response in you, which is pretty well uh, level five. And therefore, these different levels are of different interest to different viewers. Critics would see a film in quite a different way than an, you know, a mere spectator like me would, because I just go to have fun. I've switched everything off. I'm just sort of interested in, is it a good song? Is it um, you know, what's happening? So I'm not going to go through uh, the images, but what it means is that when you see something, something clicks in your brain, and you start to interpret that that scene means X, Y, and Z. And that's the kind of thing we do in clinical settings, that you see the patient, you talk to the patient, 
and you start making those kind of hypotheses and uh, decisions. Bollywood um, is almost as old as um, Hollywood. Um, in 1899, the first set of Indian shorts were made, which were kind of silent, and you, know, you had your pianos and uh, organs in cinemas, and you know, similar things happened. And this is, um, I'm sorry, you can't see, I mean, this is the original poster um, showing a film um, called Harish Chandra, which is, you know, um, really one of the sort of earliest films, you know, the first feature in 1913, and first talkie in 1931. And I just want you to kind of, you know, see how the films were being advertised at that time. A popular Hindu drama, almost half the Bombay Hindu population has seen it last week, and we want the other half to do so before a change of program takes place. Advertisers, advert, advertisers were around even then. And also see our new screaming comics, Don't Fail to Come Tonight and Bring Your Friends. And similar things emerge. So Bollywood is the informal name given to Bombay-based industry. Um, a lot of people don't like the term Bollywood because they, you know, now that it's called Mumbai, they think it should be changed to Mollywood, but that's a different debate. In India in 2002, uh, 1,200 films were made, and half of those were in um, Bombay. So it's the largest film industry in the world, and this is my prescription if you want to make a Bollywood film. Whether it succeeds or not is a different matter. Get two stars, two tablespoons of melodrama, cook slowly, soupçon of comedy, dash of villainy, six to eight songs, three to four dances, family crisis, epiphany, everyone lives happily ever after. If only life were that simple, but I'll be out of a job, but that's a different matter. The interesting thing about songs, and uh, if you have time, I'll show you a clip. The songs generally in Bollywood films are um, to say the unsayable. So I can't really tell you what I'm feeling, so, but through a song I can tell you that I hate you or I love you or you know, do all kinds of things which uh, make it possible for me to do that. And you know, the subconscious yearnings of love and jealousy and pining and anger and obviously, quite often, it's turning point in uh, the narrative and you know, fantasy and almost used as operettas. I mean, I think the largest number of songs was 112 in a film in 1938 or 39, uh, which was sort of, you had two minutes of dialogue and then you went into a song. Now, whether you want to call it an opera, I don't know. But the interesting thing is that nowadays, especially, there are so many film channels uh, on television, and a lot of songs are shown as soon as the film is released to attract audience. And each director, by and large, has his or her own style of filming a song. So you can, by looking at a song, you can pretty well figure out uh, who the director might be. So when I went to um, the welcome and said, right, I want uh, money to do this, and you know, welcome, uh, quite rightly said, okay, what's the hypothesis that you want to test? So I said, okay, these are the two hypotheses. One is that films reflect the political, social, and economic reality in which they are made, and the portrayal of the psychiatric conditions uh, will be affected by prevalent social, economic, and political mores. So what I did then was the from 1950 to 2000, the 50-year period, I divided it into three broad, very rough periods. I didn't say that, you know, the kind of first uh, Prime Minister, Jawaharlal Nehru, was Prime Minister from 1947 to 1964. So I didn't say that, you know, 31st of December 1964, this finishes and, you know, this season starts on 1st of January 1965. But they kind of roughly match... Um, different prime ministerships, and I'll come back to that, and there's kind of, you know, also five-year plans and um, lots of other political things. So up to 1964, the country was newly independent, young, very idealistic, a sense of liberation, and it's been described as years of hope and achievement. And 
they, there was a lot of focus on democratic institutions. So, for example, expenditure on education uh, increased sevenfold from 198 million rupees in 1951 to 1,462.7 million rupees. So, in a school enrollment doubled for boys and tripled for girls. Secondary education increased local democracy at village levels. Uh, foreign policy was sort of non-aligned movement, peaceful coexistence. Uh, but in 1962, this kind of period, um, conflict with China led to a loss of innocence. So during that period, what was going on was building socialism, nurturing parliamentary governments. And the films, by and large, that were made during that period, heroes were either doctors or engineers. Heroines were either nurses or teachers. Fairly clear, no matter what the subject was. The subject generally is boy meets girl, boy loses girl, boy finds girl, they get married, doesn't matter. But the characters were quite clearly involved in some kind of construction, that there were things happening and things which were positive, and I'll come back to that. I do apologize um, that this clip doesn't have subtitles, but I just want you to see this is one of the early films where um, psychiatry is um, portrayed. This guy has gone to see the psychiatrist because his son is being a rebel at college. Rebel in his terms means that he's not attending classes. Not that he's taken a gun and started shooting people, but just because he's not attending classes, father is very worried. And I just want you to sort of focus on the uh, top right-hand corner with a sort of bit of skull, and it looks as if the skull is smoking. Uh, but also, uh, the psychiatrist who has um, a, a mirror on his head, which an uh, ear, nose, throat specialist would wear. Now, don't ask. Your stomach and your brain very, are connected. If you didn't have your stomach, you didn't need your brain. Let me perform my duty. For your information, I am not an ordinary doctor, but able one. <laughs> Let me see your brain perfectly now. Very, very strange. Bilkul khokli empty. As I said, I mean, you know, during that period, any film which had um, mental illness were quite sort of gentle. And one of the big hits of that period was a film with um, the asylum was called the International Lunatic Asylum. And the patients that they show, patients uh, from Africa, from China, from Egypt, you know, kind of, you could see from the clothes that they were wearing. So there was a openness and sense of um, international nature. Now, the second clip that I'm going to show you, this is one of the two films um, in the 1960s which looked at psychoanalysis. And the interesting thing about psychoanalysis in India is that psychoanalysis in India developed quite independently from Freud. And one of the Bengali psychoanalysts who wrote 
quite extensively about it and established Indian Journal of Psychoanalysis. I sent um, some information to Freud, and Freud completely ignored it. So he then sent a ivory statue of Lord Vishnu to Freud, which apparently stayed on Freud's desk uh, till he died. And there's a book, uh, which is a collection of Indian psychoanalytic um, writing called uh, Vishnu on Freud's desk. But this film, this particular film is a story of um, a nurse who is sent to England to be trained in analysis, goes back and is treating patients. And one of the patients she falls in love with uh, patient is discharged, gets married, and she has these kind of fantasies that one day he'll come back. And she's asked to take on another patient, which she refuses, but you know, much against her will. She's kind of pushed into um, seeing him. And um, while she's treating him, he gets better, and she ends up being psychotic, and that's where the film ends. Now, there are quite a lot of sort of interesting issues about it in terms of the role of the women as carers, a role of a nurse in particular as to what it is like to look after a male uh, patient and the feelings of transference and counter-transference, which are really not addressed in the film. But I just want to... <laughs> And this is the matron. Dharasal is a case of acute excitement of schizophrenia. Lekin iski soch me to mujhe koi uljan nazar nahi aai. Mere kamin sir. Radha, aao Radha, aao. Main tumhara inzaar kar raha tha. Charo taraf tumhari dhoom machi hui hai. Hame tum par fakr hai. Tumne hamare naye mareez, wo Arvind Chaudhary ko dekha? No sir. Uski case kisi badi? Nahi to. This is very much unlike you. मुझे तुमसे ऐसी उम्मीद नहीं थी ये लो ध्यान से पढ़ लेना देव की तरह ये किस भी वैसे ही है और इलाज भी हु वैसे ही होगा लेकिन इसे नाटक नावल कविता लिखने का बड़ा शौक था इसलिए तुम राइट से बच के रहना ये राइटर लोग या तो बड़े सनकी होते हैं या बड़े रोमांटिक हो जाते हैं लेकिन सर सर इस बार मुझे माफ कर दीजिए मैं केस नहीं ले सकूंगी नहीं ले सकूंगी मैं पूछ सकता हूँ क्यों मुझे बड़ी तकलीफ होती है सर तकलीफ क्या तकलीफ होती है तुम और काम करना नहीं चाहती नहीं मैं और एक्टिंग नहीं करना चाहती थी नो नो दिस इज नॉट एक्टिंग ये एक्टिंग नहीं है इस मर्ज का इलाज है ये सिर्फ तुम कर सकती हो सब नहीं कर सकते मैं भी नहीं कर सकती देव का इलाज जिस सब्र बर्दाश्त तुमने किया वही देखकर मैंने दूसरा केस लिया था मुझे तुम पर भरोसा था लेकिन आज तुम ही कहती हो मैं कर नहीं सकती अच्छा तुम सचमुच थक गई हो या तुम्हारा मन नहीं करता तुम जा सकती हो Note the beard. The psychoanalyst is supposed to have beards, but um, he's not supervised her. He's not asked her about what does it feel to be treating somebody, and what are the feelings the patient generates in you, and what are the feelings that you generate in the patient, which is at the core of psychoanalysis. But it also is quite interesting that if you just listen to his explanation of basic psychoanalytic principles. Um, वैसा ही एक और केस आया है मेरा मतलब अरुण चौधरी का वही मर्ज एक्यूट मेनिया देव के केस में यू नो राधा ने कमाल कर दिया जिस तरह राधा ने उसे अच्छा किया उसी तरह तुम्हें इस मरीज को अच्छा करना पड़ेगा मुझे मैं क्यों तुम्हें खुद पर भरोसा नहीं है नहीं वो बात नहीं इस रोग के बारे में तुम्हें एक बात हर वक्त याद रखनी पड़ेगी कि उसके दिल में एक ऐसी लड़की बैठी हुई है 
जिसने उसे धोखा दिया दर्द दिया उसके मन में जहर खोक दिया उस लड़की की छाप ऐसी गहरी बैठी उसके दिल में कि वो छाप वो दुख वो दर्द तुम्हें अपना प्यार अपनी वफा देकर उसके दिल से मिटाना होगा और उसकी जगह एक नई तस्वीर बिठानी होगी जिसमें उसे अपनी मां या मां की तरह की ममता का चेहरा मिल जाए मां का हाँ मां का चेहरा छोटे होते पहले पहले आदमी जब दुनिया में आंख खोलता है तब हाथ पांव चलाकर अपना चौगिदा पहचानता है इसे कहते हैं ऑटोमेटिक स्टेज इसके बाद खुद को आईने में देकर वो खुश होता है और पहले पहल वो खुद से प्यार करता है इसे कहते हैं नर्सिस्टिक स्टेज इसके बाद वो मां या बाप से प्यार करना सीखता है लड़की हो तो बाप से लड़का हो तो मां से इसे कहते यूडीपस एंड इलेक्ट्रा कॉम्प्लेक्स मां से प्यार करना जब उसे पता चलता है कि गैर समाजी है तो गैर इरादी तौर पर मां को अपने से हटा देना चाहता है और इसी तरह गैर इरादी तौर पर जगह जगह मां का विश्वास मां सी ममता का चेहरा ढूंढने लगता है जिस चेहरे में उसे यह विश्वास ये परछाई मिल जाए उसे प्यार करने लगता है अगर ये सब टूट जाए या झूठ निकले तो दिमागी तौर पर वो शख्स बचपने की स्टेज पर आ जाता है और ऐसी हालत में अरुण चौधरी हमारे पास आया है उसके सामने तुम्हें इतनी सही एक्टिंग करनी पड़ेगी कि उसके लिए मां और महबूबा की शक्ल एक हो जाए इसे कहते मरीज के साथ रिपोर्ट कायम करना एक रिश्ता बनाना ताकि उसका टूटा हुआ विश्वास वापस लौटाए यही देव का इलाज था और यही अरविंद चौधरी का इलाज है जो तुम्हें सो दैट वॉज सिर्फ प्री 1964 पीरियड एंड बिटवीन 64 एंड 1980 व्हाट आई सिर्फ रफली for those 16 years have been described as era of villainy particularly in politics i mean you know there were sort of several wars uh, in 1974 indira gandhi introduced emergency and then the leaders started to become the problems uh, so having had 17 years where uh, democratic institutions were being set up and suddenly democratic democracy was taken away and economic conditions started to deteriorate uh, dramatically radical economic policies banks were nationalized uh, princely perks were removed foreign investment was incredibly poor poor growth in exports high rates of uh, inflation but there was a lot of agriculture growth the institutions were losing um, status um, there was insufficient functioning of state legislatures and there were uh, several assemblies where a group of people were belong to one part party in the morning a different one at lunch time and a completely different one in the evening because whosoever gave the highest bribe they sort of just changed parties and you know uh, toppled one government and sometimes governments lasted 6 hours because somebody made a higher offer so what that meant to the general public was that you had absolutely no faith in the system and the structures and at that time i mean there were two major films um shole which has been kind of described as curry western is a sort of story of um a retired police inspector whose family gets um gets decimated by this um outlaw and he then uses two crooks to get back at the outlaw and even in zanjeer there's a kind of police officer who's sort of going outside the law to try and deal with uh, what's happening and it was pretty well uh, related to this whole notion of that i can't get any justice from the system and therefore i have to fight for myself and so everyone for himself or herself and uh, does anyone recognize her nobody watches celebrity big brother that's shilpa shetty in only film uh, which was a hit seema tum wahi shaadi kar lo jahan tumhare daddy chahte hain 
पीछे तुम क्या कह रहे हो मैंने बहुत सोचा इसके अलावा हमारे पास कोई रास्ता नहीं अच्छा मुझे रास्ता नहीं मंजिल चाहिए और मेरी मंजिल तुम हो मैं तुम्हारे बगैर जी नहीं सकती तो फिर हमारे सामने एक ही सूरत बची जो हमें हमेशा हमेशा के लिए एक कर सकती क्या खुदकुशी खुदकुशी तुम्हें मंजूर है अगर हमारे प्यार का अंजाम मौत ही है तो मैं खुशी से मरने के लिए तैयार हूं ही इज अ चार्मिंग साइकोपैथ सॉरी दैट गेव द गेम अवे डेंट इट आई है by that time heroes were psychopaths and psychopaths were heroes until about sort of mid 60s uh, you had a hero you had a heroine and you had a villain and the fights were either about money land or women nothing else but by this time the psychopaths want to have everything they don't want to work they want everything and they till the mid 60s you know villains got beaten up and there was one particular actor called pran and during that period uh, his family did a sort of internet survey to find out if any child in india had been named pran and apparently they couldn't find anyone because he had been the villain and in every film at the last 3 minutes he would beg forgiveness and you know there was kind of sense of redemption that all stopped from mid 70s onwards that it was just kind of um, villain is the hero there's a kind of angry young man no redemption no guilt i'm not going to show you this film this is really dreadful i don't think you should waste 3 minutes of your life watching it <laughs> um and from 80s to 2000 there's a kind of uh, period which has been described as new romanticism and indira gandhi had died Rajiv Gandhi came in and there was a kind of very sense of a great sense of optimism there's a youth a uh, new generation new ideas he's going to drag uh, india kicking and screaming into 19th century but then um, he died and then we had sort of series of uh, coalition governments and right wing uh, government and the caste starts to become a major issue around about that time and unprecedented economic reforms and you know fiscal deficit goes down from 8.3 to 6% industrial production uh, by 6% in 1993 and 13% in 1995 and political changes is sort of you know uh, develop nuclear bombs and uh, you know relationships with china and usa improve but the interesting thing was that during that period there were at least 6 films that i counted and i'm sure there are others that i haven't seen uh, where women become the property so they are being treated as economic goods that men can buy and uh, retain they be- they become the objects to be possessed and their ex- existence becomes very dependent on the man there's no independence um, so all that stuff about you know being teachers and being involved in construction goes out by the wayside in the middle period there were very few roles for women it was generally psychopathic men who were killing each other and women were kind of somewhere in the background in one of the biggest hits of 1970s i think heroin you never see her on the screen after the intermission so the first 50% of the time she's there somewhere in the background but you know and sings one song and that's it and the biggest hit of the 1980s uh 19 early 1990s was um a film which has been described as a 4 hour wedding video the heroine <laughs> is an it professional um doesn't work uh, you know sits waiting for her loved one till midnight uh, so when he comes home after sort of slogging at office so she cooks food for him at midnight has a huge house has a sort of retinue of uh, help but no you know she's a dutiful obedient indian 
uh, woman, so therefore she has to do it. But the other interesting thing about the same period is that that was also the period when Hollywood was making something very similar, Sleeping with the Enemy, Julia Roberts' film. So a lot of these films were kind of borrowed from that idea. Now who's the dog and who's the wolf? This is a clip I use uh, for morbid jealousy. It's a classic example of you know, what he's trying to do to her. Um, it's going to really, you have to account for every minute as to where you were, what you were doing with your time, who did you see, who did, what did you talk about. And there were at least half a dozen films with a very, roughly very similar theme that you know, people were trying to be very possessive of their girlfriends or they wanted to possess their girlfriends, or strange um, women, the people that they didn't know. I think the story of portrayal of mental illness in Bollywood films cannot be seen in isolation. Hollywood has always had a tremendous amount of impact. A lot of stories get Indianized and used in that particular context. And 
around about the same time in 1970s and 1980s, if you look at Hollywood films, they were also incredibly violent. I mean, it was 74, I think, or somewhere between 72 and 74 when Godfather won uh, the best Oscar, Kathy Bates, when she's kind of retaining, um, I'm trying to remember who the hero was, and Misery, uh, she's tied up this author, um, the name is gone. Uh, but it, there, were, there was a quite a lot of violence in Hollywood films as well. So there is that interaction that can't be isolated. No, you don't want to see this. This is really dire. Um, I mean, that's a clip where this guy in sort of, you know, with full moon becomes wolf-like and then, you know, has so much energy that he kind of, you know, escapes out of um, the bars of um, psychiatric hospital. But, you know, that's... Um, a different thing, but in that same period, the, the caste and feudal system have become much more important in the kind of additional factors of Muslim uh, persecution. And there is a shift from character to plot, and then um, sort of plot to character again, and there's a lot of uh, work done in the 90s and the 2000. I just want to sort of... Uh, close by showing you a clip of a film. Um, this was originally made in Tamil and then remade in Hindi. And the year it was made in Tamil, I think the period between that was a, in a psychiatric hospital in South India, 26 patients uh, lost their lives because they had been tied, chained to their beds and there was a fire and they couldn't escape. And this bit also, I mean, I think as, as you will see, it's a kind of very Hogarthian uh, picture of you know, asylum. But interestingly, this is also the time and they're trying to tell us that the Western system dealing with uh, psychiatry has failed and patients have to sort of go back to the traditional Ayurvedic system that's
so there's a kind of switch from the Western models, that, you know, which can't sort of treat. The, the background is that he's beaten up by some thugs, has a brain injury. Uh, his family take him to see a neuropsychiatrist who sort of you know, does scans and things and then says, well, you know, there's nothing modern medicine can do. Take him to an Ayurvedic ashram and he gets better. And you know, the kind of song is basically blaming the love which caused it because he was involved and the villains were too complicated to explain anyway. <laughs> Um, but I, I think the, if you look at the sort of five or six clips that we've seen, that there has been a gradual shift. It's become much rougher, harder, and more um, in-your-face kind of um, psychiatric disorders. But the other difference is that over the 50 years, you're actually seeing more and more um, mental illness, role of psychiatrists, Lots of films about Alzheimer's disease, a few uh, fairly decent ones on schizophrenia, and several on depression, uh, which have sort of started tackling it. And you know, when you talk to the directors, and they basically say, I'm making this to make money. So why should I listen to you if you tell me that you, know, you have to sort of show this properly and you know, not exaggerate or glamorize or you know, um, make things uh, much worse? Uh, they're not interested. So no matter what we as uh, professionals keep saying, uh, they really don't want to know. And I think one of the things that we need to bear in mind when we look at, um, I'm going to sort of skip these. Um, I have skipped these. Um, I want to sort of leave some time for questions and answers. But one of the things that you need to bear in mind, the challenge for us both as professionals and as members of the public, is are films reflecting the reality, the social reality and the reality of the society, or is it the social reality which is influencing uh, what people make and what people then go and see? And I think that's very, very difficult to tease out. Which came first? You know, films about uh, stalking or uh, stalking started or the economic uh, conditions were such that they made women as property and chattel, and therefore uh, the filmmakers just picked up on that. So on that note, I think I'm going to stop and very happy to take questions and comments. Thank you very much for listening. For all information, please go to our website at www.gresham.com dot ac dot uk